them a little orange booklet put out by the navigators that begins their discipleship journey. But the real reason I mentioned Dawson Trotman this morning is because how he was inspired to start the navigators is quite fascinating. He said that he was known in his early days uh, to pick up hitchhikers. And as he would pick up these hitchhikers as they rode along, he would use that captive audience as uh, a time to witness to them. Well, one day he said that he picked up a man, and as they were riding along, this guy just cussed like a sailor. I mean, it was every four-letter word and then some new ones that he invented along the way. Well, as Dawson Trotman tried to steer the conversation toward Jesus, uh, he pulled out a gospel track and he handed it to the hitchhiker beside him. The man kind of looked at the track, and then he looked at Mr. Trotman. He said, hey, I know you. We've met before. And as it turned out, as the men talked, they had met before on the same road a year earlier. And the story goes that Dawson Trotman had thought he had led this man to the Lord. He dropped him off, and then he went along his merry way, confident that another soul had been saved. But now a year later, encountering the same guy, there was no evidence of the new birth in his life than if he had ever heard the gospel or the name of Jesus at all. Well... That inspired Dawson Trotman to take discipleship very seriously. And here's what he wrote about that. He said, quote, After meeting my convert again, I was sick to my stomach. From that time forward, I saw the need for intentional one-on-one discipleship. He said, When a baby is born, we don't take them out in the wilderness, drop them off and say, Do your best, fend for yourself. So why do we leave newborn Christians out in the world to try and make it on their own? He said, you can lead a soul to Christ in a few minutes, but it takes a lifetime to see them grow in maturity. Now, I mentioned that word discipleship. That's a word that we are familiar with in our Christianese, in our church vocabulary. It's used often, but it is not very clearly defined at times. We know that we're supposed to do it. The Bible tells us we're to make disciples, but if you ask the average churchgoer what is discipleship or what does it mean, they might be hard-pressed to give you a clear definition. Well, here's my stab at it. Discipleship involves two aspects, growing and showing and reaching and teaching. Discipleship is growing in the Lord and then showing others how to do the same. It's also reaching the lost and teaching them to obey Christ. Now, don't get discipleship confused with its close cousin, evangelism. They're related, but they're not the same. Evangelism is for the sinner. Discipleship is for the saint. Evangelism says, be fishing for men. Discipleship wants to make fishers of men. You see the difference? Evangelism is focused on conversion, faith in Christ. But discipleship is focused on commitment. That's following Christ after conversion. Evangelism, in that era, the lost are a recipient of the church's mission. But in discipleship, we've gone from being a recipient of the church's mission to being responsible for the church's mission. So those are the differences that I want to make clear today. And in John chapter 1... This is a passage about Jesus calling his first disciples. And it teaches us several traits about what it means to be a disciple. And we're going to be challenged today 
to do an inventory in our own lives to see, am I really following Christ? Am I a fan or am I a follower? Am I just watching from the sidelines or am I actually participating in the discipleship? Now, I think there's three statements that this text lends to us that we can apply to our lives. Number one, it's this. Discipleship is belonging to Christ. Discipleship is belonging to Christ. Now, as we pick up our text here, John and Andrew, we're going to meet them. They began as students of John the Baptist. But when Jesus showed up on the banks of the Jordan River after his 40 days in the wilderness where he battled Satan and came out victorious, Jesus is now ready to begin his earthly ministry. And we're going to notice that John and Andrew, they transition from full-time disciples of John the Baptist now to full-time disciples of Jesus. And as we watch this journey take place, I want you to see two important aspects that happen in the discipleship process. A disciple belongs to Christ, and this begins by recognizing the lordship of Christ. By recognizing the lordship of Christ. Look at what verse 35 and following says. Verse 35, the next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked... And Jesus, as he walked by, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 38, And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? A disciple is somebody who belongs to Christ, and they recognize the lordship of Christ. Now, notice here, Jesus' first words in the Gospel of John come in the form of a question. He turns to curious John and Andrew, and he asks them, What do you seek? That's a great question we could all ask ourselves today. In other words, we see that before these men start to follow Christ, he tests their motivation. He delves into their heart. Why are you following me? What is it that you want? In fact, this is one of the key questions that everybody must answer in life. There's at least five of them. There's who am I? That's identity. There's how did I get here? That's a question of origin. There's where am I going? That's a question of destiny. There's another question, what's right and wrong? That's morality. And then what do I seek? Or what is the meaning of life? What's the purpose for my existence? That's the question that Jesus is posing here to these men. And by the way, if you're looking for a great way to start discipleship with somebody, start with this question that Jesus asked his first disciples, what do you seek? If you're trying to lead somebody to the Lord or steer a conversation into the gospel, you can always borrow that question from Jesus. What exactly are you seeking? What are you looking for out of life? What's your goal? Where do you want to end up? Uh, what's the purpose for your existence. And if that person can't answer that, well, that's a door wide enough that you could drive a Mack truck through and bring the gospel along with it. But on that question, what do you seek? In Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life, he cites a survey that was done a few years ago by Dr. Hugh Moorhead. He was a philosophy professor at Northeastern University. Now listen to this. Very learned man. Educated, we would say. Moorhead wrote 250 scholars, scientists, writers, and intellectuals, and he asked them a simple question. 
What is the purpose of life? In other words, what do you seek? Some offered their best guess. Others admitted they were totally clueless. We aren't surprised because we know what's coming out of universities today, right? <laughs> Several of the intellectuals even asked Moorhead to write back and tell them what it was if he discovered the purpose of life. Friend, I think you have a better chance of teaching a dog quantum physics than trying to figure out the meaning of life without the Creator. You have to recognize the Lordship of Jesus Christ or else nothing will make sense, nothing will fall into place in life, right? Now, notice that John had already pointed out that Jesus was the Lamb of God. This is the second time he says it. He says it back in verse 29. He says it again in verse 35. Behold, the Lamb of God, verse 29 he said, who takes away the sin of the world. So John had pointed this out. And the fact that, listen, John and Andrew start following Jesus suggests they are coming to him for what? Forgiveness. Why else would you go to the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world if you don't first recognize, hey, I am a sinner and I need the atoning and the salvation that he can provide. And friend, if Jesus could forgive sin, follow the logic, that must mean that he is who? He's Lord. He's God. And that's why I say discipleship begins with lordship. That recognizing not only is Christ the creator, but he's also a redeemer. And if that's true, then I must follow him. And every disciple comes to Jesus. They come to him needing something. They're disillusioned with the brokenness of life. They're longing for something more. And after trying everything that the world has to offer, we realize that without him, our life is utterly lost. It's broken and it's unfulfilled. And friend, as I think about following Jesus and recognizing his lordship, I understand that everything that I want to be as a man, everything I want to be as a father and a husband is bound up in Jesus Christ. And if I want to be the person that I so long to be, then I have to follow him because he's the only one with the answers. He's the only one with the authority. He's the only one worth devoting my life to. Now let me ask you a question. Who or what are you following today and why? You following a celebrity? Are you following an athlete? Are you following somebody on Twitter or Instagram? Let me ask you a question. Are they worth following? And take that to its logical conclusion. Who or what are you following? What are you living for? What is going to be the result of that if you follow it to the end? Is it going to lead you to the place where you want to be? Is that person or is that individual worthy of your devotion? I'm here today to tell you that after walking with Jesus Christ for over a couple of decades now, that I know I'm following the one who's got the bread of life. I'm following the one who's got the answers. I'm following the one who holds the keys of death and Hades, and he's already defeated my greatest foe. I don't have to wonder. I don't have to worry. It's not a hope-so. It's a no-so salvation. And I'm thankful today that I'm following the one who's never broken a promise. I'm following the one who's never led me astray. He's never disappointed me. I'm following the one who has the answers, the resurrection, and the life. Friend, if you're following anybody else, you're doing it wrong. A disciple recognizes the lordship of Christ. Ask yourself that question, what do you seek? Just as Jesus asked John and Andrew. But then also this, I want you to notice, a disciple not only recognizes the lordship of Christ, but they pursue a relationship with Christ. 
They pursue a relationship. Back up to verse 38 again. Read this with me again. Jesus turned and saw them following and said, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? In other words, how we'd like to spend some more time with you, Jesus. They pursued a relationship. Verse 39, and he said to them, Come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. Now notice the progression here this morning. Andrew and John take interest in Jesus. They go from Team John the Baptist to now wearing a different jersey, Team Jesus. They start out as fans. John pointed them out. They thought, wow, that's really interesting, the Lamb of God. What does that mean? They were curious. They started out as fans, then they became followers. And later on in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, uh, Jesus is going to call them friends. So they go from fans to followers to later friends. And what I want you to see here is the out of lordship comes relationship. You see, the relationship flows from lordship. And John was so impressed with what he discovered about Jesus that day that he remembered that is the the spiritual turning point in his life, he said, I even remember the hour that I started to walk with Jesus. It was about the 10th hour of the day. <laughs> hey, let me ask you a question. What, do you remember the day that you were saved and born again? You remember the hour that he came by and tapped you on the shoulder and showed you his grace and mercy? You could probably tell me where you were, what you were thinking, the context of your life, how broken you were, how miserable you were. Uh, what situation he saved you out of. Uh, you ought to be able to remember that day and that hour because when you meet Jesus, everything changes from that moment on. I mean, there's B.C., there's before Christ, and then there's after Christ where I'm a new creature and I have a new life and a new purpose. By the way, while I'm on this, this is what makes Christianity different from every other religion because it's not a religion, it's a relationship. That's what discipleship is all about. I'm pursuing a relationship with the living God. You see, every other religion in the world is a rigid system. It's steps, it's rituals, it's practices, it's uh, the five pillars of Islam, it's transcendental meditation, it's do this and do that, it's a list of legalism, whether it's Hinduism or Islam or New Age, you're simply following a prescribed set of rules behavior that's spelled out by the founder you could take the founder out and the religion would still be there but I'm telling you that Christianity is Christ it's about him it's walking with him it's learning his ways it's understanding how he's not a a statue on a shelf he's not a totem pole he's not an idol to bow down to he is the living Lord Christ Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world I can talk to him and have a relationship fellowship with him that's why he says to the disciples hey come and see <laughs> you want to know what I'm about I'll take you down that road that's an invitation to walk in the footsteps of Jesus and I'm thankful for that discipleship journey because along the way that's what it's about it's about a journey where I grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ I can talk to him in prayer and he speaks back to me through his word and through his spirit oh the old song said he walks with me and he talks with me along life's narrow way some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here this morning it's not just about an old dusty religion. It's not just about a Sunday morning feeling. It's every day I get up and I get to walk with Jesus. I get to have Him in my life. Hey, He speaks peace into my storm. 
Uh, he nudges me to get back on the right track when I get off course. He gives me strength when I'm weak. He gives me direction when I'm confused. He gives me encouragement when I'm down. He gives me faith when I'm fearful. It's a relationship. And He knows me better than I even know myself. Now later on in the gospel, especially in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus would go further with His disciples and He would talk about the cost of discipleship. You see, following Jesus just isn't a bed of roses, is it? It's not about health and wealth, having a bunch of money in your bank account and always feeling good. He didn't promise us that. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. But there's always a cost involved with following Jesus, isn't there? Look what he said in Luke 9, 23. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Boy, that one little word changes things, doesn't it? Daily? You mean I have to follow you, Lord, when I wake up and I don't feel good? You mean, Lord, I have to wake up and follow you when I blew it the day before and I yelled at my wife and I wasn't very Christian in front of my kids? You mean, Lord, I have to take up my cross and deny myself when this doesn't go with the five-year plan that I had laid out? Oh, that one word daily, it changes everything, don't it? Billy Graham was right. He said this. He said, quote, salvation is free. But discipleship costs us everything we have. I don't hear too many amens on that one. Because <laughs> you know it's true, don't you? Listen to this. Ernest Shackleton was known as one of the bravest, most intrepid explorers of all time. If you, if you really think you're a man and you think you're tough, read this guy's biography. This guy was on another level. He led three expeditions to Antarctica. Most notably was the 1915 trip on the Endurance, which actually turned into a rescue operation. But in preparation for his trip, Shackleton ran the following ad in newspapers looking for a few good men who would join him. Here's what this ad said. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful. Now, what's interesting about that, thousands of men applied and wrote back to Ernest Shackleton wanting to be a part of the adventure of a lifetime. Now, I thought about that this week. What if the same ad appeared in the newspaper or online on Facebook today and it was about discipleship, following Jesus Christ? What would it, what would it sound like? Here's what I wrote. Men and women wanted for difficult task of helping build my church. You will often be misunderstood, even by those working with you. You will face constant attack from an invisible enemy. You may not see the results of your labor, and your full reward will not come till after all your work is completed. It may cost you your home, your ambitions, even your life. That's why the fans are many and the followers are few. Because discipleship is a line drawn in the sand that few people really want to step over because they know the cost is too high for them. But friend, I'm telling you here today, as somebody who's been a disciple of Christ and tried to do the best that I can to build my life around Him, there is no greater privilege than building the church of Jesus Christ. No greater challenge 
than walking with Him. No greater fulfillment than being transformed along the way by Him. No greater joy than have Him call me friend and servant. Friend, and I know no matter how hard the journey may be, how difficult the climb may be, how numerous the challenges might be, I know I'm going to fail along the way. I know Satan might eat my lunch today or tomorrow, but I'm telling you one day it'll be worth it after all. When you can bow before him and cast a crown in his feet and he'll show you the fruit of the labor of walking with him, friend, it'll be worth it and you'll be glad that you said no to the world and you cast all that stuff aside to follow this darling Savior I'm telling you about. So discipleship is about belonging to Christ. We understand the Lordship of Christ and we pursue a relationship with Christ. Some of us may have declared Lordship, but we haven't moved and pursued that relationship. That's how come you can have baby Christians who come to church their whole life and never grow. Because they profess lordship, but they haven't pursued that relationship. If you haven't pursued that relationship, you need to do that. Well, what else is discipleship? Discipleship is not only belonging to Christ. Number two, I want you to see today, discipleship is bringing others to Christ. It's bringing others to Christ. Notice verse 40. One of the two who heard John speak, And followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We found the Messiah, which means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Discipleship is belonging to Christ. It's also, look at this, bringing others to Christ. Andrew is not well known, but he's one of the first disciples we read of here to follow Jesus. In fact, if you do a little study on Andrew, he's mentioned less than ten times in the Gospels, usually in a passing reference to his more well-known brother Peter. Listen, Andrew's claim to fame wasn't preaching. We don't have any of his sermons recorded in the Gospels or in Acts. He wasn't famous for doing any dramatic miracles that we know of. He never wrote anything of note to be included in the New Testament, but what he did do was appreciate the value of a soul. And he's often called the apostle of small things because even though he may be small in his significance, God turns that and God uses his willingness to do big things. You see, the first person that he brings to Jesus is his brother Peter, Then if you keep reading on in John chapter 6 where Jesus does that miracle of the fishes and loaves and he feeds the 5,000, Andrew is the one who brings the little boy with the sack lunch to Jesus. And then if you get to chapter 12, Andrew brings a group of Greeks, a couple of uh, Gentiles to Christ to come to salvation in him. Dr. John MacArthur writes in one of his books about how Andrew started a spiritual Chain reaction, if you will. Listen to what he wrote. He said, quote, Nothing in Scripture indicates that Andrew ever preached to crowds or stirred the masses. Andrew was content to work behind the scenes, leading people one at a time to Jesus. But what if Andrew had not been a soul winner? It was this quiet, lesser-known disciple that brought Peter, the future flaming evangelist, to Christ. 
Without Andrew, there would have been no powerful sermon on Pentecost Sunday. Without Andrew's influence, there would be no first and second letters of Peter in our New Testament and no gospel of Mark, which Peter dictated to Mark. All the fruit, he said, of Peter's ministry is ultimately also the fruit of Andrew's faithful individual witness. Now that ought to encourage some folk today who say, Pastor, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a missionary. I don't have a voice to sing. I'm not very talented. You know what? God's not looking at ability. He's looking at availability. He's looking at somebody that he can fill, somebody that he can use, somebody like an Andrew who'll say, I'll be content to work behind the scenes, but make no doubt about it, I may not be in the limelight, but I'm just as devoted to Jesus as the preacher is up on the platform. Now, Andrew, as I see it, he is an example of the power of one. And he challenges me to get outside the church walls, to get outside my comfort zone and reach just one. In fact, that's how Andrew started. He just reached one. He started with Peter. And you know what? If we followed his lead and reached just one person this year in 2022, you know what would happen to our church? It would double in size. I mean, I'm not good at mathematics, but if we all just reach one, the church, we'd have to build another building. And I think the Lord would be okay with that. But when you start casting gospel seed, hey, when you start going out and saying, Lord, use me. Lord, I'm not much. I'm not significant. I'm not powerful. I'm not rich. I'm not thus and so. Stop looking at who you are and start looking at the greatness of who he is. And you start casting out that gospel seed. You never know where that seed's going to land. Or what spiritual chain reaction might start from that. Or what spiritual harvest might be the end of that. You see, here's how it goes in, in, in John chapter 1. John pointed to Jesus. He said, behold, hey guys, look. Not on me, look at him. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John pointed to Jesus. And then John and Andrew got curious and they followed Jesus. Andrew said, you know, there is something about him. He doesn't teach like anybody else. He's got a something about him that I can't quite put my finger on him. He's different. I, I, I believe he really is the Son of God. And he went home and told his brother Peter, said, you've got to come check this guy out. I believe he's the fulfillment of all the prophets that they have spoken about. He's the one we've been waiting on. He's the one that met the deepest need in my life. Peter, you've got to come check him out. And then Peter came, and Peter was never the same. You see, friend, how it started? John pointed, Andrew and John followed. Andrew got Peter. Peter was changed. And then if you keep reading on in chapter 1, uh, Philip brings Nathaniel to the Lord Jesus. So you see how the spiritual chain of events is all linked together? That's what discipleship is about, his lordship. Being in that relationship and then saying, hey, he changed me. You've got to come and meet him you got to come check him out see what he can do in your life. Hey, listen, if you're a Christian today, it's because somebody reached you for Jesus. And chances are, it probably wasn't a preacher. It was probably a mama or a daddy or a faithful Sunday school teacher or some witness who came and knocked on your door or some annoying person that you worked with who invited you to church over and over and over again and you said, no, I'm not interested and they wouldn't give up and finally you gave in and came to church and found out this is exactly what I need. If you're a Christian today, chances are it was because of an Andrew in your life who reached you and brought you to Christ. And let me ask you, who are you reaching? Who are you planning on reaching this year? Maybe the Lord hasn't revealed that individual to you yet. 
But you need to have that mind about you. Who am I looking to lead to the Lord this year? You may have not met them yet. You might meet them at the store. You might meet them at the gas station. They might come and work at the same place you are. But whatever the situation might be, we need to ask ourselves, who's our one? Just says Peter was Andrew's one. And you know what? Evangelism is not complicated. We've made it complicated. But you know what evangelism is? It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Hey, I found the Messiah. Search is over. Prophecy fulfilled. It's not complicated, Peter. Just come and meet him. And when you do, I'm telling you, you'll never be the same. Here's the principle. Even the smallest witness can have the biggest impact for eternity. Because when we share Christ, eternity will be different for somebody. We won't know until we get to heaven to see all the fruit that might come from one life. But our faithful witness, I believe, can ripple outward like a pebble thrown into a big old pond. And you never know how many lives your life is touching and how far that might go. I love a story that Billy Graham tells in one of his books about a a very distinguished European surgeon that he met at one of his crusades. It's a great story. Dr. Graham asked the man, he said, tell me, How did you come to know the Lord? And the surgeon said that he had this routine. Every day he would walk to his hospital, and every day as he walked down the street, he passed by this little man who was obnoxiously standing out there handing out tracts on the street corner. And this surgeon said, uh, I thought the man was kind of eccentric, and the more that I walked that path and the more that he showed up in my life, I kind of thought he was a little annoying. Why didn't he just mind his own business? Why is he always trying to... Push this Jesus, this religion thing on me. I'm not interested. And so the surgeon said that every day he passed by this man and he politely refused to hear his witness. He said, no, I'm not interested. Keep your tracks. Well, the surgeon told the story that one damp and rainy day as he was making his path home, he tried to avoid that man. And he said that when he got home, he felt something squishy under his foot and he looked and he pulled one of those little darn gospel tracks off the bottom of his foot, that obnoxious, that spiteful little man who stood out there on the corner and handed those out every day. He said, you know what? If this thing made it home in this weather, I might as well open it up and read it. And Billy Graham said that he opened up that track and he got a dose of Holy Spirit conviction and this distinguished gentleman got down on his knees and admitted the same thing. I found the Messiah and he got born again all because of one man's little obnoxious witness throwing that track away, stepping on it and dragging it home. I'm telling you, when the sermon is over and it said amen, it ain't really over because you know who follows you home? The Holy Spirit of God and the hound of heaven. And he'll nip at your heels and he'll remind you of the word of God if you've resisted, if you said no, if you said I'm not interested, this Jesus thing isn't for me, you can run, but you can't hide from the Holy Spirit. He'll track you down if you're meant to be one of his. You might as well just go ahead and bow the knee. The Bible says this, My word shall not return void. That gives me great confidence as a preacher, as a soul winner, as a disciple. Because listen, that means I don't have to be spectacular. I don't have to resort to all the gimmicks and tricks to get results. Why? Because this word is going to do what God tells it to do. 
this word is going to accomplish the thing for which it was sent. It will not return void. And friend, that ought to give you great confidence in sharing Christ with others. It's not about me. It's not about my words. It's not even about my, what I can say or what I can do to convince somebody. It's the power of the Spirit of God blessing the Word of God, leading people to the Son of God. So let me ask you, who are you burdened for? Who's your one? If you say, Pastor, I'm not burdened, then you ought to be. If you're not burdened today for a soul, my question is, why not? Why aren't you burdened? You ought to be. As followers of Christ, we ought to ask ourselves, who is our one? Edward Hale, he said this, quote, I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something I can do. And by the grace of God, I will. Listen, there's somebody in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your family. The only way they're going to hear about Jesus is through you. Not the preacher, not the missionary, not the deacon, not the Sunday school teacher. It's through you. Discipleship. It's belonging to Christ. It's bringing others to Christ. And then thirdly, I want you to see this as I close today. Discipleship is becoming like Christ. Discipleship is becoming like Christ. Notice verse 42, it's where I get this. He brought him to Jesus, speaking of Andrew bringing Peter. And Jesus looked at him and said, oh, this is so good. You are Simon, the son of John. Only a preacher can get excited about this. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Discipleship is about life change, isn't it? Becoming like Christ. Another important goal in the discipleship process is that we are transformed as we walk with Jesus. If we weren't changed by him, why else would we do it? How shocking it must have been for Peter to meet Jesus. He, Peter had just met Jesus. He'd known him for five minutes, and Jesus is already changing his name. Hey, they call you this. But you're no longer this. You're Cephas, which means Peter. Who does that? Who do you meet for five minutes and they say, I'm going to call you this because this is who you are in my eyes. Now, you need to know something. In the Bible, a person's name is very significant. It's not incidental. It's not accidental. A name is always tied to the, one, the person's identity, who they are, and then number two, their destiny, who they will become. So when God ch changes Abram's name to Abraham, when he changes Jacob's name to Israel, when he changes Simon's name to Cephas or Peter, that's always significant. And when Jesus changes Peter's name from Simon to Cephas, it signaled a change in his life. A transformation is taking place. And Peter, which comes from the Greek, the word Petros means stone. But at this point in his life, if you know who Peter is early on, he's not rock solid, is he? He's like quicksand. He's unstable. He's the disciple with the foot-shaped mouth. He's always sticking his foot in his mouth. In fact, Peter is going to show again and again how unstable he really is as the ministry goes on. He keeps putting his foot in his mouth, and he ends, he ends up denying Jesus. You know that. 
But here's the beautiful thing. Here's what I love about this passage. This is what gets me excited. When Jesus calls us to be his disciples, he doesn't just see us for who we are, but he can look down the journey road of our life and see the potential for who we will become. Oh, isn't that good, friend? He doesn't call you on the basis of that identity that you have at that moment, but he sees who you will become in him. And friend, that gives me pause for praise today. You see, one day, this failure, this denier, oh, this character development would take place in Peter's life, and he would become the cornerstone of the church. He would become rock solid. He would find his faith. He would feed his sheep. And that's what's exciting about discipleship. It's not just about what God can do in us, but it's what God can do through us as we take that journey down life's road with Him. He changes us along the way. Oh, friend, maybe you're wondering, can Jesus change me today? I can tell you He's still in the life-changing business here in 2022. He can change your life. He can change your reputation in the community. He can change your destiny and your future. I said He can change your destiny and your future. Somebody help me preach this in the house of God today. He can change you from addict to set free from the bondage of sin. He can change you from depressed to hopeful, a hopeful future. He can change you from an old rotten sinner to a trophy of grace who's got a testimony to tell. Let me tell you who I used to be, the crowd I once ran with, the things I used to put in my body, the way I used to think. But then, praise God, Jesus stepped into my life. He's Lord, and He's God, and He still does miracles because He changed this old boy from the inside out. When I was running from Him, oh, He was coming after me. When I wasn't looking for His blessings, He was already pouring them down in big old gallon buckets on top of me. I'm telling you this morning, He can change you from shallow and insecure to being a new creature in Jesus Christ. He can change you from a deadbeat dad to a family man. He can change you from somebody who don't care about the things of God to I can't wait to get to church next week. What's the pastor going to say? Whose life is going to be changed? Oh, I hope that they sing that song so I can give him my best praise. Thank God today I'm not what I want to be. I'm not who I ought to be. But praise God, I'm not who I used to be because I took the walk down life with Jesus and He changed me from the inside out. Oh my goodness, if you don't believe it, I believe it today. Let me close with this. If you're like me, you grew up with that old hymn, I've decided to follow Jesus. You may know the song, but you don't know the story behind that. Well, in 1904 and 5, there was a great revival that began in Wales. And the result of that was that God's revival fires started to spread across the world. And there was a Welsh missionary who felt out of that revival that God was calling him to take the ultimate discipleship move and go to India and become a missionary. The region that he went to was Azram, comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitives and aggressive headhunters. That means if you stepped on their property and you said, Jesus, 
them's fighting words. Well, naturally, this missionary was not welcome. And he thought about giving up because the ground was very hard there. He didn't see much fruit for his toil, but he was able to lead one family to Jesus Christ, husband and wife, and their two sons. Well, when the village chief of that little village heard about this family converting to Jesus and how they were starting to share their faith with other families and they were converting to Christ. This village chief became enraged and he summoned all the villagers into the little center of the town there one day and called out the family who had first converted to Jesus Christ and he said, look, I'm giving you the choice. You must recant, you must renounce this foolishness or die. Well, that father in that family was so moved by the Holy Spirit that he gave his answer. He looked back at the chief and he said, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. The chief then ordered his archers to shoot down his two boys. And after both of the boys died in a pool of their own blood, the chief asked, Now will you defect from the faith? You've lost two of your sons. And if you don't convert back, you'll lose your wife too. The man gave his next reply. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Well, the chief was beside himself with fury and he ordered that his wife now be killed. And so there was this man. His wife was dead beside him. His two boys were dead. And the chief asked one last time, he said, I'll give you one more opportunity to deny your faith and live. And in the face of death, this brave man said, The cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back, no turning back. And he was shot dead right there in the middle of that town. But how many of you know the old saying that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church? And what happened out of that could only be described as miraculous. Because as God began to work in that situation, the death of this man and his family had sealed the reality of Jesus Christ in the hearts of all those people who witnessed that. And the story goes that that whole village ended up converting to Christ. Yes, even the chief. And that story began to be spread. And then somebody put the words to parchment and they wrote the hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Though none go with me, I still will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. What about you? Can you sing that song today? Our musicians are coming. I want us to, to sing that song today. Maybe you need to make that commitment in your life for the first time. You need to say, you know what? I'm not really following Jesus the way that I should. And maybe you've been convicted. Hey, Come forward and let God deal with your heart. Maybe you've been kind of sitting on the fence with your Christian faith. Seal it today. I don't know what God's doing in your midst or in your heart today, but you listen to Him and listen to the words of this song.